Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today was day 73 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings and it was day two of closing submissions. And we heard four different closing submissions today. The day wrapped up a little early, just after 2 p.m. We were supposed to hear five uh, closing submissions today, but one, uh, Lisa Banfield's lawyer, uh, was flying from Toronto and uh, from what I understand from the brief comment made by Commissioner Michael McDonald, uh, there must have been some issue with the flight or with the travel arrangements in any event. Uh, that lawyer is going to speak tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So just a note for anybody that's watching along with this, it's not a 9.30 start tomorrow, it's going to be a 9 o'clock start. And you're going to want to, if you're interested in watching, you'll want to start right at 9 o'clock because uh, I'm sure it'll be an interesting presentation from Ms. Banfield's lawyer. Uh, I'd be interested in a number of things, but one thing is the reaction to what Sandra McCullough said yesterday about how uh, many of the family members were offended by the sort of characterization of James Lockyer, Miss Banfield's lead lawyer, I'll come to that in a second, of how the family members simply asking to cross-examine or allow Miss Banfield to be cross-examined was somehow engaging in conspiracy theories and was sort of this U.S.-style um, conspiracy-minded um, ob objectives that they may have had. So... Uh, Sandra McCullough expressed their offense at that. I'll be curious to see what uh, Ms. Banfield's lawyer has to say, if anything, on that specific point. Uh, interesting, it, is, it will not be James Lockyer that's coming to Halifax uh, from Toronto to make submissions on behalf of Ms. Banfield. It's going to be Jessica Zita. Jessica Zita is in Mr. Lockyer's firm. Uh, she was called to the Ontario Bar in 2017, seems to have uh, argued lots of prominent cases and had a, you know, a, a good career, uh, though not a particularly long one. But in any event, I wonder what this is uh, on Ms. Banfield's perspective. If, um, you know, it's not worth James Lockyer's time to fly down and make submissions on her behalf. Uh, I think it's a sense that uh, Ms. Uh, Banfield's team feels that the Mass Casualty Commission isn't the most important forum in which uh, her legal affairs are being uh, handled. You know, the criminal matter was uh, obviously very important, had some, uh, you know, important consequences. And the uh, civil claim where she was seeking to retain her portion, uh, well, whatever that may be, of uh, Gabriel Wortman's estate. So their focus may be elsewhere. But uh, some of the conclusions that are going to come from this uh, commission are going to be important when it comes to arguing that civil claim. So I'll uh, be interested to hear those arguments tomorrow morning. Today, we heard from Tom McDonald on behalf of, behalf of Scott McLeod, uh, Jane Lenahan on behalf of uh, Gina Goulet, uh, Linda Hupman and Steve Topshi on behalf of the Oliver Tuck family, and then Jamie Goodwin on behalf of uh, the Women's Shelter uh, Transition House, Nova Scotia, and Be the Peace Institute, uh, Women's Shelters Canada. First thing, though, before any of that got started, Jamie Van Wart, one of the Mass Casualty Commission lawyers, uh, get up to the podium and announced or, or advised the uh, commissioners that they wish to have some documents marked as exhibits. Now, this happens uh, fairly often. They'll get up and there'll be some housekeeping 
things to take care of, documents that have been received, and they're going to be entered into evidence. Well, th there was 513 uh, documents tendered as evidence this morning. None of those are posted yet to the uh, Commission website, so we don't know what they are. Uh, one that caught my eye was something uh, about, it seems like it, the Commission's efforts to determine anything where uh, Wartman may have been connected to the police as an informant, as an agent, uh, whatever investigation they've done seems to have been captured in a document, and that document has now been tendered into evidence. Uh, you won't find it on the Commission website as of yet. We'll keep an eye out for that. So a, a critical uh, theory, at least, or a prevalent theory, and would have thought that the Commission would have dealt with this a little more head-on at some point, but uh, they haven't. So we'll wait to see what those documents uh, involve. Now, what Jamie Van Wart did also say was that these documents have already been provided to the participants, and so they all have copies of that. So presumably, if there was anything earth-shattering in these documents, we would be hearing about that through the Participants' Council or some of the participants themselves. So we'll, uh, we'll see what that, see what that uh, comes to. So Tom McDonald was first. Uh, Tom uh, McDonald was one of the lawyers in the Desmond Inquiry, so I got to know him down there. He was uh, representing the Borden family, which were the in-laws of, uh, of Lionel Desmond. And in this, he was representing Scott McLeod, brother to Sean McLeod, uh, murdered uh, in the morning of April 19th, 2020. Now, uh, Tom McDonald, he gave some sort of broad thoughts on policing, talked about reimagining rural policing, talked about uh, lack of air support, air support planning, that there should be more clarity when it comes to critical incident uh, and the command structure involved in that suggests. Now here's an issue. So watching to see, you know, broadly what people are recommending and with respect to the RCMP, Tom McDonald talked about this implementation committee idea. And this was something that Tara Miller mentioned yesterday or took some time to, to go through yesterday. And Tom McDonald was talking about who should be part of that. The federal and provincial governments mentioned the RCMP as part of the implementation committee as well. And uh, I just note that because that implies, of course, that the RCMP will continue to be the policing entity for Nova Scotia under those recommendations. And so he's not recommending that the RCMP be replaced. Now, in representing Scott McLeod, uh, Mr. McDonald also uh, says uh, he, on behalf of Mr. McLeod, feels that he's been heard throughout this process and so wanted to convey that to the commissioners. So that was uh, Tom McDonald on behalf of Scott McLeod. Next was Jane Lenahan, who represents uh, Gina Goulet's uh, estate. Uh, she listed uh, many of the issues that we've, we've heard already from the RCMP response right in Porto Pic. Uh, she uh, also expressed gratitude to the commission for their what she described as a thorough investigation. Uh, actually, she got a little emotional when she was expressing that gratitude on behalf of the, the Goulet family, uh, which always a little, uh, you know, a little curious or whatever. When there was, she wasn't the only one today. There was a, another lawyer that I'll come to in a minute, Jamie Goodwin, that also got a little emotional during his uh, presentation. And I always say about lawyers, you know, you have to be able to appreciate the significance of emotions in others, recognize them, uh, be aware of their significance and their power, but not be susceptible to them yourself. 
You know, you need to keep a, a level head, calm and clear, free of uh, any, uh, you know, undue emotional influences as you're making your presentation. I think it affects not only the, the quality of your thinking in your presentation, but also the way it's perceived. You know, if you get emotional on a certain point, well, it tends to, I think, detract from the perceived logic of your points. So I'll just mention that. Uh, now, uh, Ms. Lenahan also expressed, I think, a, a really good point that her concern remains that the police still think that the public would overreact to an emergency alert. We've heard some of that testimony from the police, and they still seem to maintain that kind of attitude towards the public and mistrust, really, of the public. Uh, Ms. Lenahan also talked about Sergeant O'Brien consuming of alcohol, supported the point made by Josh Bryson yesterday that it was really preposterous to imagine that that's okay and that the other RCMP officers who were asked questions about it uh, you know, didn't really seem to want to go there or else said, yeah, they agreed that it was okay as well. Uh, so that was Jane Lanahan representing Gina Goulet. Next, uh, Steve Topshi and Linda Hupman from um, uh, Birchall's, uh, sorry, yes, uh, they were uh, representing the Oliver Tuck family. They they split their time. Uh, Steve Topshi reviewed the sort of the cross-Canada critiques of the RCMP, which are now taking place, including in British Columbia, where there's a review recommending a replacement of the RCMP, the formation of a provincial police force, local reviews taking place in Colchester County, where, you know, finances were an issue and coverage was an issue. He stopped really just short of recommending to the commission that the RCMP be replaced uh, as the policing entity in Nova Scotia, but certainly the the thrust of his comments was was in that, you know, in that vein. Uh, Linda Hupman, uh, she suggested that there should be a, that the RCMP should uh, put together a national mass casualty response team. So if one of these incidents happens anywhere in the country, that there's procedure in place, people that are trained and prepared to deal with, you know, just the volume of evidence the volume of potential scenes, the volume of, uh, you know, families that uh, need to be informed of what's going on. Uh, so an increased family liaison presence. She notes that in the, now the, the Oliver Tuck family, and we heard from Tara Long yesterday, but she, she, Miss Hupman, is talking about the other part of the Oliver Tuck family, lived out west, took five or six hours uh, to of calling and calling different people to try to find out what was taking place there. And so that was a long wait, of course, for them under those circumstances. Uh, so talked about, you know, tightening up that kind of part of the process and how that, uh, that can have a real negative effect on, on families. Now, so that was the end of the, uh, end of the presentations by the lawyers representing family members and affected uh, family members. And I just noticed really none of them, uh, none of them mentioned domestic violence or, uh, you know, really pursued that as a topic. Uh, so that's certainly notable in itself. Um, you know, we've all heard the evidence and the experts. Uh, so, uh, but the family members focused their attention on the RCMP response and kept it to the main point, I guess, if I put it that way. Now, uh, next, after um, Steve Topshi and Linda Huffman, was Jamie Goodwin. Uh, Jamie, uh, I 
Didn't know, uh, didn't know Jamie Goodwin uh, with Hicks, Lemoyne, and Amherst. Uh, junior lawyer, two years in, called to the bar in 2020. Uh, d- did a fairly good job for being uh, new at this. Kind of an unfair position to put somebody in just two years into the bar. Uh, also a really uh, interesting choice. Controversial in a sense. Uh, I was surprised to see that Jamie Goodwin was a male lawyer. Uh, speaking for Women's Shelter Canada, Transition House Nova Scotia, and Be the Peace Institute. Um, you know, representation is supposed to matter, and I would have uh, expected that the lawyer for these, uh, you know, organizations that are dedicated to the eradication of violence against women, gender-based violence, would have had a female lawyer. But that's, uh, I'd be curious to see, curious if anybody else made that observation. Um Now, one of the main points that uh, Mr. Goodwin was making was something that we've heard from was his coercive control. Coercive control is sort of non-violent but controlling behavior uh, on the part of um, a man in the relationship, controlling finances, controlling the woman's time, who she spends uh, time with, who who her friends would be, um, many other sort of coercive control, I mean, just what the words say, and a recommendation to criminalize that, as uh, some other jurisdictions are are either doing or not doing. Now, he didn't really flesh out that idea very much. We did hear this a few weeks ago in expert uh, witnesses, and it seemed to me the thrust of the conversation was against criminalizing coercive control, that it was using the blunt instrument of the criminal justice system to combat something that really needs a more thorough educationally focused sort of response Uh, but uh, it is being studied at some level it seems and so we'll see uh, if that goes anywhere or if the commission in fact uh, takes you know takes that idea and runs with it what I was really waiting for was because of course domestic violence has been a major topic in the mass casualty commission what I'm waiting to hear is somebody to come out with Here's something that'll probably work, and it's a major change, uh, but, uh, you know, it'll it'll make a difference. You know, we see in the Marshall Inquiry that there was a major structural change to how prosecutions are done in Nova Scotia. And, you know, you don't change the culture overnight, but if you change the rules and disclosure rules and the attitude of crowns, well, over time, and maybe not a whole lot of time, the culture and the, the system changes. So, what is the idea in the domestic violence realm that's going to be the equivalent of that? So, it'll be interesting to see. We didn't hear it today. I don't know if, I don't think coercive control criminalization is that idea. Uh, The other thing I was waiting to hear today was a real attempt to build a case, a thorough case dealing with the specific facts that we've heard throughout this commission that this series of killings by this killer was either motivated, caused, or that the central character of it, them, was gender-based violence. We didn't hear that today. It wasn't, it was sort of almost presumed at the beginning of uh, Mr. Goodwin's presentation, but not developed. And I think we need to hear that developed in a little more thorough manner. Now, we may hear that tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, in addition to uh, Jessica Zita on behalf of Miss Banfield, we're going to hear from the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, which is called LEAF. 
and the Avalon Sexual Assault Center. That's a combined representation. We'll hear from a lawyer for the Elizabeth Fry Society of Mainland Nova Scotia, feminists fighting femicide. Uh, so hopefully in that group of presentations, we'll hear this ideas or this these theories at least uh, fleshed out a little more. We'll hear from the RCMP Veterans Association of Nova Scotia. We'll hear from the Truro Police, the Canadian Firearms Association, and the Canadian Coalition for Gun Control. And then on the final day, we're going to hear from the BC Civil Liberties Association, Department of Justice, Nova Scotia, who have evidently been at these uh, at the inquiry. We haven't heard from them uh, much at all. I don't know if they've asked a question. Sort of reminds me of the Desmond Inquiry, where they were there. Actually, they had two lawyers there the whole time and barely spoke. Uh, and then the uh, Federal Department of Justice, uh, I expect, will have uh, a strong uh, presentation to make on Friday as well. That's the That'll be the closing. Again, uh, mentioned that the Mass Casualty Commission lawyers themselves will not be uh, making a presentation. Contrary to what we've seen in other inquiries in Nova Scotia, uh, right back right to the Marshall Inquiry where uh, Commission Council made a long presentation and submitted uh, written uh, submissions as well. So be interested to hear if there's an explanation about that, but there hasn't been yet. So we'll wait to hear what happens tomorrow morning. It'll be interesting to get going early at 9 o'clock and hear what Ms. Banfield's lawyer has to say. Uh, so far, we haven't heard much. We've heard little snippet uh, comments from James Lockyer. A couple of questions about who was involved in the decision to charge her criminally in the first place. And uh, that's been about it. So uh, I'll be interested to hear if there's a longer um, thought out sort of narrative from her perspective of what's going on in the commission, how she's been treated and what she thinks should happen next. So uh, until then, uh, thank you uh, for watching and thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.